Welcome to Love and Compassion, a podcast where we explore different topics that may challenge our current belief systems and the fears that they generate. Our hope is that through dialogue, you, the listener, will be inspired and motivated in new ways on your own journey to living a more loving and compassionate life. Please welcome your host, Giselle Taraba. Hello and welcome to the Love and Compassion podcast with Giselle. We believe that love and compassion has the power to change our lives and our world. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more amazing content. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing living our best lives with love and compassion with Amy Joy. Yay! Amy is a number one international best-selling author, a breakthrough strategist at Amy Joy Coaching, and is the founder and CEO of Upaya Healing Center. Amy's also currently a proud coach for the Wingman Coaching, a Reiki master, and is certified in sound, instant miracle, and crystal healing. She worked for four years as a missionary in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, is a single mother of two sons by birth, plus another son by unofficial adoption, which is awesome. She escaped an abusive marriage and started over in a foreign country and is now thriving and living her best life. Amy loves people and is passionate about helping and inspiring them to live extraordinary lives. Her mission is to liberate people from suffering and light the path to joy and freedom. Please join me in welcoming Amy. Hi, Amy. Hey, <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited for us to have this chat. During these challenging times right now that you hear so much about all the things that are happening in the world, the worries about the economy and worries about war and health, it's so nice to be able to share stories about resilience and survival and thri- not just survival, but thriving. So I'm very excited to talk to you today. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about maybe your childhood and what led you to this journey. All right. So, yes, I grew up in a small town in Ontario, Canada. So I'm a Canadian girl and grew up very interesting upbringing. I grew up in a school for missionaries. So everyone there was coming to get trained on how to be a missionary. Mm -hmm. And so my worldview was quite large. Everyone I knew was going to the other side of the planet somewhere and and ended up doing that myself went to Panama and Bolivia two summers in a row do mission work and help build a school in an airstrip and ended up getting the bug the travel bug and the the help bug I love to help and contribute so went through four years of college got specialized in unwritten languages and then spent four and a half years in a tribal village in Papua New Guinea learning their language culture helping them medically and all of that. My husband, however, was a lost being in that he was terribly abusive. And it got to the point of life and death. And I had to run with my two sons who were two and four at the time back to Canada. And but the harassing just continued. And long story short, I, I made a a leap and ran to Mexico and hid in, hid in Mexico for 12 years. Thankfully, I had full custody, so that was good. And I uh, started over here in Mexico. I'm still in Mexico. I love it. It's my happy place. And mm-hmm. basically, I did the work to get to get help and to get healed and to reprogram myself 
from the stuff that I was given as a child. And all of us have been given programs, I believe, that we didn't ask for and often don't serve us. And so now i that's what I do. I coach and teach. And I also am an energy worker. I, I help move trauma out of the body so that we can live our fullest, best freedom-filled life. So. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. It's not an a usual childhood. It seems a little bit unusual yeah. to be raised in a missionary. What was that like from the perspective of a child? So I, I moved there when I was seven and a half. And my life before that was really quite rosy and full of love. And it was amazing. And then I, I noticed even at that young age, when I when we got to the mission, and it was wonderful in lots of ways. Okay. It was, I had lots of great things about it. However, my struggle was that I didn't see that women counted at all. Like they just, there were no women in leadership. It seemed like I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do. And I was a tomboy. And so I kept being told no, simply because I was a girl. And that made no sense to me. (laughs) Even as a kid, I was like, what does that have to do with anything? I can do it. And so at eight years old, I made a decision that I was going to show them that I could do what guys could do and I could do it better. And I did. And it became a program that ran that that served me well in lots of ways and also hurt me in lots of ways because I denied the feminine in me. I was achieve, achieve, prove, prove, Mm. prove. And so much stress, so much stress, so much lack of joy trying to to be like that. So it was it was it was difficult for me. It was difficult. My, my siblings had a completely different upbringing. They didn't like, what's wrong with the problem? You know, my sister was super feminine, didn't want to do anything like that. And my brother was a boy. So he had a completely different upbringing because boys can do whatever they want. And, and so it's interesting, but that was my struggle and that was my, my growth. Right. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's so interesting that you mentioned because I think it is possible for people to have completely different experiences, right? Because of where their energy and attention is at. And so it's so funny. I've had experiences with with my sister and even with other people. You can have the same, like you can physically share the same experience, quote unquote, but is it really the same experience? Because you're each of you are having kind of your own experience. So, but that must've been really, really challenging for you because you might not have felt you could be your authentic self. And so you became more, I guess, the more the masculine aspect. What do you think led your parents to want to take on the missionary life? They're beautiful people. And, and most of the people I grew up with really were beautiful. Like that. I don't, okay. I I'm just going to be real. I, I don't believe the same things anymore at all. Uh, I believe in being kind and gracious. So of course, but, but, uh, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but, but our belief was that if we don't go and tell the tribal people about Jesus, that they were literally going to go to hell and die and go to hell. And so our hearts were to help them. We didn't want them to die and go to hell. And so that's why we were all doing what we were doing was to was to give the tribal people a chance to know and so in that that's that's beautiful i mean and you know i I don't feel that that's the way it is for me (laughs) yeah that's yeah it's so interesting that you mentioned that because i think i mean this is this thought is not unique to missionaries or religion Mm -hmm. or and so on in Mm -hmm. in one of the conversations we have here at our center is about what compassion truly is 
right? We think that a lot of our compassion comes with judgment, right? How yeah. how did the people respond yeah. to your, like from people from Papua New Guinea respond to your helping? So they, this is important. Everybody knows that we didn't just push our way in. They, they were inviting us. They had mm. been hiking over the mountains, a, a week's hike to oh. another tribal village. So asking for a missionary and and they, they they knew what to say, you know, they said they don't want to be afraid anymore. And they've seen other tribal mm-hmm. villages that weren't, weren't afraid. And that may or may not be true. In my experience, being there, a lot of it was they just wanted the stuff that came with the missionary, you know, <laughs> medicine and the, oh. and the stuff, you know, clothing, you know, and we were really careful not to just like create a welfare society, but, but if they did work for us, we would give them clothes you know, and so there was, they, they had a little bit more going on naturally just by us being there. You know, we mm-hmm. were really careful not to change them. Mm-hmm. We weren't there to change their culture or say that's wrong or, yeah. and they didn't know about certain things. Like they'd wipe their baby's butt and then wipe their mouth. You know, like they oh. didn't know that that isn't great. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that could <laughs> so, cost them. So less, yeah. they, they had, they didn't know the world. They didn't, they'd never seen different cultures, different colors. They had never seen anything like that. So we helped them, you know, not get taken advantage of by, by the gold mine that was nearby that was ripping them mm. off and poisoning their rivers. And, oh, wow. and so mm-hmm. we wanted to teach them and did teach them. Uh, there's still, my coworkers continued there and, and they're now having building schools and, mm. and they're learning how to read and write awesome. their own language. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, yeah. The other great point you raise is that, you know, there's neither good or bad, right? There's just right. like what we perceive. So in that case, it's so often we have these dichotomies or these dualities, right? And so in, in terms of like, this is good or this is bad, but in, in that case, they got a benefit from the experience. Yeah. So that was helpful. It, that might've had some other unintended consequences, but that's really kind of what the world's about. Sometimes, you know, we're both light and dark and you know, sometimes there are things that we do that might be considered hurtful or not helpful. But really, the key thing is, is that your intent was not to do harm. It was to do from your, from the perspective to be, to be loving and to be helpful. Right. So I think Absolutely. that's really great. And that's continued. That's continued on with, yeah. my, with my coworkers and, uh, you know, it's, it's all perfect. Yeah. Uh, So tell me a little bit about how you got into your relationship and how I am assuming, and and maybe I'm wrong making the assumption that it morphed from a loving relationship to one that was maybe more challenging Mm -hmm. or more, as you mentioned, abusive. So what do you think was kind of the shift and then what helped you get out of it? Yeah. Okay. I I think that is normal. That wasn't what happened for me. It was the day of our wedding. Things changed. Uh, and uh like drastically like mm-hmm. to the point where I was like who are you like mm-hmm. what I I was just in shock and I just I made excuses for it thinking it was you know stress or you know whatever so I, I know from that moment on things were were not the same and they weren't good they weren't good I really don't have a good memory married uh, dating was wonderful. I had no red flags. I didn't, I didn't see anything bad coming down the pipe. I, I just didn't know. Now in learning about 
people who who suffer with psychopathic and narcissistic disorders this is what happens is is the abuse doesn't start until they know that they have you emotionally mm. or physically and in my culture and in my belief system it was at marriage right mm. okay. and he yeah. he knew that i was stuck now like i did not have an out and mm. i believe that too i did not have an out that's why i stayed almost 8 years because mm-hmm. I believed I didn't have an out because the Bible says you can't, right? At least that's, that's what I was grown up to believe. Mm-hmm. So, so then he could just do whatever he wanted. And once he, once he had me and so, yeah, no, it got really, got really bad. And by the, by the time I, my second son came around, it was, yeah, it was, it was really bad, but now I'm in the jungle <laughs> in yeah. literally in the middle of the jungle the only way in and out is by helicopter and then an hour Cessna plane ride and you can't call either of those in without people knowing mm. and it just wouldn't have been it wasn't understood what was going on and nobody could really conceptualize it and because he's a man and I'm not I lose so so I had to be really smart about it and and nobody no I tried I tried a little bit to see, test the waters to see if I could trust anybody with the information, but it was just, it was too much. It was, Mm -hmm. it was too impossible in their, in their minds for it to be real. And, and so, yeah, so I, I had to do it on my own and, and thankfully I got away and yeah, it was, it was intense. Um, Can you share a little bit about how you got out? If it was such like, how were you able to finally get out? Like that must've been, was it miraculous? (laughs) Kind of. I mean, the way it works is you're in the tribe four years, four, four and a half years, and then you come back to your home area for a year. And so we got, we got to the States and I remember seeing the lights of LA and I was looking out the window and I said, God, you got, you got to do something. Help me. I can't, can't stay. And it took two weeks before he left me alone for any amount of time where mm-hmm. I could run. And as soon as that moment happened, my family was actually visiting. And so we each took a floor and grabbed our clothes and the kids and loaded the car and took off. And I was only 15 minutes down the road and he already knew and was losing his mind. So it was, yeah, it was a miracle. God protected me and helped me get out and and then I got back to Canada and got through the court system and got custody and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, so it was, it was like something out of a movie, honestly, it was, it was, yeah, but it was what was necessary to, to be there. I had a pastor waiting at the house after I left to make sure he was okay. And, and that there was a witness and, and it was really good that I did that because I think that also right. saved us because he, he couldn't behave terribly with mm. people watching. Yeah. So, well, yeah. that is smart. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but even after like you had left, there's still an extraordinary amount of healing that needs to happen Ooh. for yourself. And so how did the journey towards healing begin and what helped you along the way? Ooh, I was, I was a mess. I was a wallflower. I had no opinions. I had no, because for eight years, I had no say. Yeah. In there was anything. only one opinion if in I that relationship. Put, mm-hmm. Yeah. If I wanted to put a picture on the wall, I had to get permission for it. You know, mm-hmm. like 
And, and so it's, it's a, it's a long road. Honestly, I can't say it's not, at least it was for me. And I, I was in a place where I really didn't have a lot of help. My parents were absolutely physically helpful and emotionally helpful. But as far as the healing process, that didn't really honestly start until I moved to Mexico and I, and I hired a coach healer and like Mm -hmm. did the work Mm -hmm. and that I had co-created this mess you know, <laughs> and yeah. re- taking responsibility for, for the believing that I didn't have value. Yes, I was a child. Yes, I can understand why it happened. But at the end of the day, I left with the same beliefs that I couldn't leave because of my belief systems, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but then I did. So what was the difference, right? Why Why is it not okay? And then all of a sudden it's okay, Right. And so coming to terms with all that and knowing that I stayed longer than I should have for my kids, like we went through undue pain because I didn't want to be alone because I wanted to believe that marriage is forever and that, that it would change because I felt like I didn't have enough value or or I couldn't do it. Right. All things that weren't true, but I believed it until I didn't. And then I did something about it. Right. But just knowing and taking responsibility for that and going, okay, all right. So how do I do this differently? What, what do my new beliefs need to be so that that never happens again? Right. And so this is a, this is a process. And, and in my humble opinion, you need help. You need a coach. You need a third party who doesn't, isn't your family, (laughs) Mm. isn't in your, in your religion, probably even, and, and just can see things outside of your own blinders and your own in your own programs and when that happens magic magic mm-hmm. happens because then you're like oh okay this is what i want and then you start designing your life instead of living the life that was designed for you so yeah yeah wow uh, you said some really excellent things i just want to point out two of the ones that i think that were really significant for me the first one was really that you co-created that experience through your feelings and emotions and thoughts like the your lack of self-love your lack of worth aligned you to an experience of someone who would have had that sort of same belief yeah. but maybe in a different way and so accepting responsibility was a huge part of it and and i think that's really really critical because it's really hard for us to admit that to ourselves it's really hard for us to to realize that we may have aligned to that in the ways. The second thing that I thought was really instrumental was that you were looking for your love outside of yourself. Yes. You were looking for someone to love you so that you could feel lovable. You were looking for someone to value you so that you could feel valued. And so I think when we look for external sources for our own love and, and compassion, puts us at the mercy of the other person's behavior. And so often we want other people to change in order for us to feel what we need to feel. And so I love that you talked about the responsibility that each of us has on our journey. And Mm -hmm. you made a decision to change. What do I need to believe in order for me to live my dreams? And so you had to make that choice. What got you to Mexico in the first place? I have to ask that. Well, he just, he just kept harassing and, Mm. and I was like involuntarily twitching at that point and had migraines. I couldn't even work anymore. I had a year and a half straight of migraine nonstop. Mm -hmm. I was, I was hardly a human, let alone a mother. And 
So what ended up happening, I needed a break. And so I said, went to the travel agent where they still had those. And I said, do you have any good flights to Mexico? I haven't been to Mexico. And she says, yeah. And I, I said, okay. And so she, she told me a place and I was like, is that in Mexico? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's, let's do it. So three days later, we were on a plane to Mexico and three days into our trip, I didn't have a migraine for the first time in a year and a half. And for the first time in, I can't even tell you how many years I wasn't looking over my shoulder. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. I choose not to do this anymore. And I don't want my kids growing up with this fear. They don't even have a mother right now and they don't have a father. And so at least not their birth dad. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. so I, I made a choice and went home, sold everything, my home and furniture and everything. And in five weeks (laughs) and, and drove, drove down, drove all the way down to Mexico and and started over. Yeah. Yeah. But you had to make that choice. Right. Like you had to make the yep. choice to now no longer have that experience. And so I think that is really important. I also wanted to say it's extraordinarily brave. What helped you have courage to to make the decision to not no longer live this life? I think I have to thank the people in the in the mission who I had to fight against constantly <laughs> because I was I was strong. You know, I would get up. I honestly, I was a little girl and I would talk to the leadership and go, why? Like, explain to me why. And people are like, Amy, shut up. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, no, I need to know. Like, this is crazy, you know? And and I think that's what made me strong. I don't know. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful. I was, I was able, I was able to do it. And yeah. best thing I ever did. Best thing I ever did. Best, yeah. best, best, best yeah, thing yeah. I ever did. <laughs> Yeah. And which is so great. Yeah. So in the process of healing, especially when you realize that you have co-created something, perhaps that you, it's not anything you would have consciously chosen. You, no. up, subconsciously <laughs> we choose, but consciously right. you would have been like, mm, I don't think I would want this life on purpose. Right. <laughs> and so right. what role did forgiveness in your healing journey? I love that you asked that question. Okay, so I might blow some brains, but this is this is where it's at for me. And I have this written in my bathroom. And I've had it on my wall for years. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. I repeat. Yeah. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. And what that means to me is you can skip right over forgiveness. When you understand that they didn't understand my ex, if he knew what love was, he would have treated me with love, but he didn't know what it was. Yeah. He didn't understand it. Right. And even when we think people understand it, sometimes we forget, right? Sometimes I forget, right. And I behave in a way that isn't, isn't what I would normally do, but I just, I just did that. I just said that. Right. So it could be him now or her now, and it could be me tomorrow. Right. And no different than a two-year-old pulls your hair and bites you. Mm. You don't talk about it for the rest of your life. You're not offended by it. You don't, you don't think you're not waiting in a lifetime for an apology. 
you understand that they're two in their understanding, right? Yeah. And so, oh my goodness, you can just like, it It just makes things poof, disappear. Your mm -hmm. biggest hurts, poof, disappear. When we start realizing that we are all just where we're ever at based on whatever program was given to us. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Some of our toolboxes are not big and full. We might be working with one <laughs> screwdriver and we're trying to do everything with a screwdriver yeah. when really we need a hammer, but we don't have the tool, right? So we can have grace and we can have understanding. And so it's like, I don't need an apology from anybody. I'm fine. It was the best thing that ever happened to me, right? Yeah. Truly, yeah. I feel that way now. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love that you said this for many different reasons. So when, as you were saying the the quote where my brain went was really the perspective that, you know, we are in this physical bodies, but we are not physical beings. We are, we're spiritual beings and the spirit cannot be hurt. We, this is just one, from my perspective, one life of many incarnations. And so we're kind yeah. of all on this journey of learning and growth. And so we kind of feel like, you know, like we all kind of agree to kind of play these roles here for our soul's purpose. But as we cross over, there's like, hey, maybe remember when you played the, the when you were right. a pain in my butt, then hey, right. thanks for that. Cause it helped me, you know, right. mirror back to me what I needed to heal within myself. So when you look at life that way, everything is a gift. Sometimes it's wrapped everything. in crap, but everything right. is a gift. So then so I then, all over my body. Yes. So, yes. so then, then sometimes our worst enemies can become our bestest friends. If we allow ourselves to understand what is being mirrored and understand that we cannot be broken. Okay. I can release the concept of forgiveness and really understand that I'm in my mastery, that I'm holding complete and nothing has been taken from me because I can always choose at any moment. Yes. But but for those people who may be still challenged within that, still stuck in that victim consciousness, mm -hmm. what what could be one thing that they could do in order to kind of, you know, be willing to be in more in their mastery? Yeah, so, all right. Well, that's Spanish for yes. Here's what I would do. I would look at whatever is your greatest hurts, your greatest pains, the things that you are feeling a victim, even though you don't want to say you're feeling a victim. But if you still, if you can think of something right now, then there's something there to work at, right? And, and if you ask this question, what gifts have come from this situation? Now, at first, your subconscious is going to throw a fit. <laughs> it's going to say, <laughs> that's very what? true. Nothing, nothing came from good from this. Nothing. Yes. No, no, no. Yeah. Just breathe, just breathe, breathe, breathe some more. And keep asking the question, what gifts have actually come from this? Who do you now know? Who have you met that you wouldn't have met because of the situation? What do you, what have you learned about yourself? How strong are you? What do you know for sure now? Who do you, who are your friends for real? Anything that you can gather. And then think about the ripple effect. Because I met this person, that means I met that person and they're now my significant other and whatever, right? And you just follow the ripples. And here's the deal. If you have a page full of gifts, you cannot look at the situation the same ever again. The problem is, is we don't ask this question of ourselves. 
And so that's the first step. That's the first step. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's so great. You know, as you were talking, one of the things that I thought about is, is that even if they can't get to that place, there's got to be even a willingness, a willingness opens the door even a little bit. And in seeing that it can open them up to this amazing potential, which you're talking about which I think is fantastic. Tell us a little bit about, you know, you living your best life, the thriving, like how you were able to go from, you know, healing those wounds to really living your best life. Can you tell us a little bit what helped you get there? Yeah. So it's, I think it's a combination, which is what I speak about in, in the, in the book that I just wrote um, called get your shit together, how to go from (laughs) fear to freedom (laughs) <laughs> and and it's literally the steps on how to, how to do it it's laid out it's it's a workbook basically and how i did it was is i like i said i got to mexico and that's when i really started getting help and i hired a coach and i hired him for my kids and i and it was mm-hmm. the smartest thing i ever well one of the smartest things i ever let leaving an abusive husband was mm-hmm. number 1 and number 2 is getting a coach for us and we each individually went to him once a week for six years. That's that's how serious we were wow. in our healing. And he helped us with our mindset, which I think is not is imperative. You have to see things differently. You have to change the loop of the story yeah. that, that we all have about every facet of our life. We have loops, we have stories, and you have to realize what they are. And then decide if you want to keep them and, and then annihilate the ones you don't and redesign the ones you do. Right. So that's the mindset piece. And then you have to heal the, the trauma. And there's three ways trauma gets stuck energetically in our bodies. And it's through, if it's acute, like you perceive it as a big deal. Again, two siblings going through the same thing could see it completely different. Right. But if you feel like it was a big deal, then it's a big deal in your body, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing is if you feel like you're alone, now maybe there's physical people around you, but you feel they don't get it. I Mm -hmm. definitely have felt that lots, right? And then the third way is it comes out of nowhere. It's a surprise, all right? Now, a lot of traumas have all three, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is where they they get lodged, And if you were to visualize a PVC pipe running through your body, many of you know there are energy centers. Some of us don't know because in our Western schools, we're not taught this. In the Eastern side of the Mm -hmm. planet, they all know this. This It's very evident. Of course, we're multidimensional beings, but we have seven energy centers. There's actually thousands, but the seven main ones run up from right just below your private parts all the way up to your crown. Mm -hmm. And they, they they have to run. They have to spin right? So if your PVC pipe ends up getting blocked by anger and fear and guilt and shame and lies, then imagine the energy just can't move. It -hmm. just can't move as well. And what happens is it creates literally physical dis-ease in the body on the the long-term effects of it. And the short-term effects of this, you're just not your optimal self. You're just not, you're just not functioning well. And so So you need to clean all that out. And sometimes there's so many modalities on how you can move trauma out, like so many. The one that I used the most was was probably crying. I cried buckets, buckets and buckets, like to the point where I didn't know that I could cry 
anymore. Like, how is there more tears? But it was so cleansing. Crying is the best. It's so good. Um, The other way is I had an energy healer, someone who knows how to do this, move it out. And that's what I now do so that because it's easier that way. I'm sorry, but I'm not saying there isn't going to be needing to be tears, but I can move that stuff out in a few minutes. And it literally changes how you approach everything else in your life because you get down to zero, but you have to change the loop or the loop will will create the same cobwebs, right? Definitely. I'm so grateful that you actually mentioned crying because that's one of the things that I see the most is that people are, there's an unwillingness to cry. There's shame and guilt about crying. And, and this is what I remind people. It's like, we have tear ducts. They're they're in within our body because we're supposed to cry. Crying is a great release. It's a great yeah. way that the energy can move. It enables us to have like that cleansing. But we kind of have all these misconceptions about crying that, you know, that it makes us weak or too vulnerable. And, and it's just, so I'm grateful that you mentioned that. So I do have a question that I know my listeners would ask. So coaching is an investment, right? So how were you able to pay for six years for the three of you? I'm so glad you asked me that. So number one, it has to be a priority. If it's not a Mm -hmm. priority, you're not going to do it. I do the envelope system. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's epic. Mm -hmm. It saved my life. Every, you put all of your, your, your costs, your nugget, like for survival. So your rent or your mortgage, your groceries, your gas, your phone bill, all the things that if you lost your job, what, what, what do you need to survive? Not Mm -hmm. buying clothes, not going out to eat. That's extra. Right. So my coaching, my further education envelope, and I literally use physical envelopes. (laughs) There are programs I suggest. YNAB, YNAB, you need a budget. YNAB, look them up. I don't get any kickback. I'm just telling you they they are they're awesome. You if you're if you're good on the computer, I am not. I need physical stuff in my hand. And you literally watch the envelope get big. So I have all of those things in a row from one on. So most important, shelter, probably, then food. You know, it's kind of hard to know which one's first. But anyways, you feed those envelopes first. And then anything else is after the needs are met. And and I put my coaching right there at the end of my, my shelter, water, gas, phone. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to be the same t- tomorrow as I am today. Like, I'm on a mission to, to be different. I'm on a mission to grow and be better and to be more and more free. And if that's important to you, then you got to put time and energy into it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have the funds right now to do that, then you ask yourself, what do I need to do to, to get some extra funds so that I can do this? Is it at overtime? Is it another side job? Is it is it adding value to someone else's life and you babysit for them? I don't know. Find a way because there is one if it's important enough to you. And it was honestly the most expensive thing in my monthly period, my coaching, three of us and four of us when I got Xander, my adopted son at 16. Mm -hmm. So, but it's so worth it. So worth it. And I really admire, well, I would, I would have person. I, if you like who your coach is, have, have your kids going to them because what happens, he would give me 
perspective on their perspective and he would give them perspective on my perspective. And then we were able to find the middle ground. So our, you know, the teen years really went phenomenally well, Mm -hmm. considering I I had three boys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I do it. I have, I have envelopes and I don't, if I don't have the money in the envelope, I just don't buy it. And this is how I've done everything in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I know about you is that, you know, you've mentioned the book. And so I want you to talk a little bit because you said the universe told you to write a book. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I've probably been told thousands of times that I should write a book mm-hmm. because I was in sales and I would end up, people would you know, talk, ask me my story and I'd end up telling them and they'd all sit there with their mouth hanging open because who lives in the jungle and who runs to Mexico? And like, it's just, I guess it's not boring. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I I was like, no way I'm not writing a book. I I don't even journal. Like, I'm just not, I can't say this anymore. I'm just not a writer because apparently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's that's uh, no longer the story you tell yourself. That was my story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here's the reality. I mean, that's true. And I was just plain scared. Are you kidding me? I'm going to put my life out there Mm -hmm. uh, after running and hiding for 12 years. And now I was, I wasn't in a photo. I wasn't in Facebook. Mm -hmm. I I was nowhere for Mm -hmm. years. And now all of a sudden you're going to talk about this stuff. I want my family to get hurt. This is, this is hard stuff. I'm talking about my upbringing. I'm calling it a cult. Like this is hard. I don't want to hurt anybody, but that's, that's how it it Mm -hmm. was for me. And, and I know, and I'm saying that it was beautiful in lots of ways because it was, and Mm -hmm. there was some not so beautiful going on too you know Mm -hmm. you know and it's this is life right and it again it was all good for me and and I see it as a gift but I want everyone to understand that's my heart but some people take it wrong but I I let go of that because my heart is to help and if I can help more people then then that's what I want to do and if especially those in abusive situations. Good Lord like if if you read the book and answer the questions like you can't come out the same you you can't you'll pick different people you'll you'll find your power you you know you'll stay gone the average abused woman I I I don't know the stats for men but the average abused woman goes back eight times leaves and goes back eight times before they're either killed or or they leave permanently eight times I I have I'm on a mission to lower that number you know Mm -hmm. and 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 help people literally get liberated from suffering. So I, I finally, the universe is like now, now. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then I was given, I literally, someone called me, says, do you want to write a book? And I'm like, mm. how did you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I said, well, not really want to, but I feel like I'm supposed to. Yeah. And so it was going to be in Bali. And I made another excuse. I said, no, it's too far. It's not in this time zone. I can't get work done and do that. <laughs> I said, if yeah. it's in the summer and it's in my time zone, I'll do it. And I was literally handed a writer's retreat, Guatemala in the summer. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. So that's how that happened. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I guess I just listened and I did it right. Like anything, it's an idea until you take action. And then all of a sudden now I have it in my hand, like what? Yeah. It's wild. Oh, that is so amazing. Yeah. Can do you have any more stories to share about kind of like where it, it all kind of magically came together? Ooh, well, yeah, I spent five weeks in Guatemala for eight, 10 hours a day with eight other people and, and had to go through the process of, do I want to say this? Like, are you asking seriously? I'm like I'm arguing with the divine. I'm like, really? You want me to say that? You know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, <laughs> you yeah. know, and having little like panic attacks and, and having to process it. And, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to say it. That's what's authentic is, mm-hmm. I, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, if I'm, I'm not going to half do it. And so I, I just, I really just put a lot of love and I really took a lot of time to make sure that what's in there is what's supposed to be in there, at least from my understanding of what, what the divine was telling me. And I just keep saying, this is your book, not mine. Just use it and help me, you know, and it's I such a blessing to to be on your podcast and, and other places like this, where I get yeah. to talk about it. And, and, mm-hmm. and cause if someone hears it and picks it up and reads it, like, I know it'll make a difference. Like, and it's so humbling and wild that, that, that I'm able to do that. And of course we are, we're all divine. Yeah. Like, you know, like we forget I'm all yeah. emotional, just like, no, no, this is great. We forget yeah. how powerful we are. And we all have a story. Mine's not, mine's a little extra drama, but, <laughs> but, but, but we all have stories that, that we can relate to with this stuff because we've all been given programs we didn't ask for period. And it's up to us to decide if we're going to live with what we've been given or decide to do it different. And, and it's a choice and there's no judgment. Do, do you you know, Mm -hmm. but I just want to light the path. I just want to, here you go. You want to do it different. Here's the way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you so much. I really resonated with me when you talked about uh, all of us being divine, because we forget that divinity, we get so stuck in the 3d picturing, like, right. Like this is me (sighs) and I'm a victim and this is, I'm the victim of circumstances. This is what's happening. You know, when you look at, you know, the world around us and the messaging we receive from the media and all of these different things and all these different people, it's hard to stand in our own authority and say, I'm going to choose to live this life, right? Mm -hmm. To some extent for you to have experienced what you experienced, you must have said, there's this external, right? There's this, but I'm going to make a choice as to how I want to live my life. And I think that's a very brave thing to do. I do know that you went to India for a little bit and uh, and you, it was life-changing. Can you share a little bit about that? Okay, now I have full body goosebumps again, just thinking <laughs> about it. Yes, oh my God. I spent 28 days at the World Center for Enlightenment. Now, enlightenment, based on their definition and mine, is the liberation from all forms of suffering, which is mm-hmm. why I went because this is my, this is my mission too, right? Yeah, yeah. That's your jam. (laughs) I thought, I'm like, literally, that's what I want, you know? So I, I was going, think, knowing that it was going to be a a big deal, but I had no, I I had no idea. (laughs) I had no no idea. They, they, okay. 
how do I explain what happened? So Dr. David Hawkins has a book called Power Versus Force. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, it talks about this, the, the emotional chart and it goes from zero to a thousand. And most of the world, 85% of the world vibrates below 200. And that is suffering. Below 200 is suffering. Above 200, you get into the beautiful states. And the higher you go, the less suffering and the more beautiful. So to put into perspective like that, my spiritual gurus, masters, teachers, however you want to say it in whatever culture, they vibrate like in the high 900s. So, so that's like, that's like being next to sunshine and unconditional. Like you can't even physically get too close and you start breaking down bawling because of the unconditional love. And so what, what they really what we did and I showed up and I went and I did the work. So I'm not saying I didn't do anything. I did. And I just really want to acknowledge that it's a happening of what happens, what they, what they do, what they share energetically, how they wipe out years of karma and obstacles and things in order to raise your frequency. And I can tell you that my frequency raised a ton mm-hmm. and I am not the same person. And I basically hardly suffer. Now I have this amazing book that teaches you how not to suffer, right? Mm -hmm. The reality is, is we suffer and the tools are how to change the suffering into, into joy. What I've received from India and from my gurus there is that it's not even coming up for me to have to use my tools Mm -hmm. like for real. And so Mm -hmm. like, if you can go to Ekam to tapas it's 28 days, go run. (laughs) It's the most profound thing I've ever done in my life, in my life, in my life, in my life. And it's the, it's the most profound thing I've ever done for the planet, because here's the reality. The more we raise our frequency, the more we change the world because our frequency, the energy that we put out into the world affects everyone around us. And we have to start yeah. taking responsibility for the energy we're puking on everyone. <laughs> and basically, hmm. so, so it was unbelievable. I don't know if I did a terrible job of trying to explain no, it. No, it's, it's hard fantastic. to explain. Yeah. Words did you, are like, don't work. Did you what? meditate for the 28 days? Is that what, is that yeah. what you do there? Not, not, not every, not all every moment of every day, but it's, it's a lot of meditation. It's a lot of learning classes. It's, it's processes. It's hard. It's hard because our minds, our minds are rascals and they cause us so much pain, our stories. And what happens is everything gets magnified in this incubator and I watched 600 people. There were 600 of us tr- completely transform. And we're on a chat now and, and everyone's still in awe. This is months later. We're still like, this happened and it didn't even ruffle my feathers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're like, we're yeah. still like in awe about it. So I highly recommend it. Like, oh my God, please go. And if you can't go, well, then then sharpen your tools and and minimize your suffering because it's possible. We don't have to suffer. Most of the day can be joy and we suffer this much and we deal with that when it comes up. And that's how I live my life now. And it's not because I'm special. It's because someone taught me and I implemented and learned and practiced. And so, yeah. Hmm. Oh, what a great way to kind of summarize the 
our conversation today. Can you tell people about where they can find you? Tell them about the book, anything that you want to share with our listeners before we end? Of course. Yeah, you can find me on amyjoycoaching.com. I have, I do private coaching. I do group coaching. I have retreats coming up in the new year, transformational retreats. And, and then I have my book and I'll show you for those that can see, for those that are listening, it says, get your shit together, how to go from fear to freedom. I say it like that because I just feel like that's what we're all trying to do is just get our shit together. You can buy that right on Amazon, getyourshittogether.life. It'll take you straight to Amazon. You can get the Kindle version or the, or the physical copy. Please share it with someone that you know needs it. It's a beautiful way to help someone you think might be in an abusive situation without making it obvious because it doesn't say how to leave an abusive husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, will, it, it will give you the tools to find yourself and, and to choose differently. And that's why I wrote it. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're so, so grateful. Please, everyone, check out the book and go check out Amy and work with her. Thank you for once again listening to our podcast and tune in for another episode upcoming. Bye. Bye.